0: Hello and welcome back, I'm Joe. And I'm TJ. And you're listening to Season 5 of Focus Ed Podcast, where we cover all things education to help you lead better and grow faster by staying focused. Focus Ed is a
1: collaborative program of work with our partners from the Delaware Department of Education and
0: Wilmington University. We record each episode with a live audience and then blast them out to you from our website, theschoolhouse302.com iTunes, SoundCloud, and more. Don't forget to follow us at the schoolhouse
1: 302com to learn more about when episodes are recorded and for more school leadership
0: resources. As always, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Focus Ed, and we can't wait to hear from you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Focus Ed, where we invite expert guests to join us And this episode, we have Dr. Liz City with a focus on her work, particularly meeting wise, which brings about a shift in the way we think about the meetings that we attend, that we're a part of. Dr. City, thank you for joining us tonight. My pleasure. Absolutely. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Dr. City?
1: Sure thing, Joe. I actually don't think I need to do an introduction of Dr. Elizabeth City, but I will anyway. Dr. City is a senior lecturer on education at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, where she is executive director of Reach Every Reader and previously served as director of the Doctor of Education Leadership Program. Liz has served as a teacher, instructional coach, principal, and consultant in each role focused on helping all children and the educators who work with them realizing their full potential. She's currently focused on developing successful readers and strategic leaders in equitable learning-rich environments. And she's co-authored and authored several books for educators, including Meeting Wise, which we're going to talk about tonight, Data Wise, which is a phenomenal book that everybody in the listening should get, Strategy in Action, another one of my favorites, and a great one, Instructional Rounds in Education, one of the books I've given away uh, most in my career, and Resourceful Leadership, as well as The Teacher's Guide to Leading Student-Centered Discussion. We really appreciate you being on the show and we're thankful for your contribution to the profession. We love the practical nature of MeetingWise, which aims to simplify how we think about meetings, like Joe said, but also points out that they have a ton of potential to increase student achievement. We'd like for you to start with, you know, in particular, why did you write this book? What did you see out there in the field that needed improvements um, that you outline in in this work and beyond?
2: Thank you for that question. We wrote MeetingWise, because we were working so hard as educators with educators to make learning better for kids. And we realized that a lot of the challenges people were having in the field were about adults collaborating effectively in ways that would lead to something different happening for kids. So people would ask us, hey, can you help us use data? Hey, can you help us be more strategic? We ended up thinking a lot of what we're doing is helping people collaborate effectively. So why don't we just... Put down what we know about that into what we hope is a really practical read in an afternoon or you know, read while you're on the elliptical trainer or something kind of a book. For us, meetings are a really undertapped resource in schools. We often will say, we need more time. We need more time. And I always think, well, are we maxing out the time we have? So when I say to educators, are you really excited about going to all the meetings on your calendar in the next week? They all look at me like, no. (laughs) And so to me, that just right there tells you, well, then meetings are a place we can do better.
0: And Liz, this is something that is very common in education. There's meetings every day. Myself, I was in five meetings today, three of which were over an hour long. Now, granted, they're typically my meetings. So those in the audience could even knock me. But with that, what's something we could do tomorrow? These are practitioners listening. These are administrators, often very new administrators. What's something they could do tomorrow to really tap into this resource since it is something so common in our everyday practice.
2: One idea for what to do tomorrow is to look at the agenda for the meeting you are going into tomorrow, whether it's your meeting or, or somebody else has set that agenda. Well, first of all, is there an agenda? Because if there isn't, you need to make one. Because I think of meetings just like I think of great lessons in a classroom, right? We wouldn't want a teacher walking into a classroom without a lesson plan. Something good might happen, but it's a lot more likely to happen if there's been plan and intention behind it. So the first thing I would say is make sure you have an agenda. And then if you've already got one, look at that agenda and think, what are the opportunities for adult learning in here? What's the primary thing we're asking adults to do? And if it's primarily to sit and listen, just like we would in a classroom, what could we change about what we're doing that would make the people in there have to learn something more actively? So really look at those objectives. What are you trying to get out of the meeting? And can we up the level of of challenge or task in some way that's going to make it worth our while for having all been in here for this meeting. So that that's the very first thing I would do tomorrow.
1: Yeah. So can you give us a, maybe an example of that? You say adult learning, like a lot of meetings are humdrum. The agenda comes out. It's a lot of dissemination of information. Sometimes it's what could just have been put in an email um, anyway, but when you say adult learning, like how do we maximize that? And what are some outcomes, like maybe an example or two? Yeah,
2: sure. So at the school level, for example, well, maybe we have a, a weekly admin team check-in and we're running through a bunch of to-dos and making sure we are got everything taken care of. It's not that there's anything bad about that, but is there a way we could shift some of that to collaborative problem solving? So instead of everybody report out on the things in your purview, whether that's at the school or the district level, what if instead we shared over email or in some quick, quick way the necessary information and we used our, our time together? Together, either in person or Zoom, we used our time together for collaborative problem solving. So, what if one person brought a dilemma from something in their work that they would like some help with and that they're feeling a little stuck on? And we used a consultancy protocol or we together tried to offer some thoughts about that problem. So, can we shift something from being about information transmission to problem solving? Or we invite you into thinking of possible solutions for this problem we see, right? I always am thinking about why. Why do we need these people here at this time together? And how can I access the strengths they bring? So the the learning doesn't have to always be like a new knowledge or skill. It can be how am I learning to do something differently in my site? Or how am I learning to see differently?
0: Liz, that's filled with a lot of wise advice. I want to make sure to double down on a couple things. First, there must be a mutual agreement among the admin team, whatever level building or district that we're going to share information through some other medium and I think that norm has to be established or people could then not share it and then things get missed but I think that's critical because you established a new norm a new protocol that somebody or a team would follow which I think is important but I also heard you say access the strengths that people are bringing and I don't know if leaders or those holding the meeting see it that way see it that they're actually going to draw upon the those attending instead of just imparting upon those intending. And I think that's a major shift as well in just the approach of the person holding the meeting.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think about that. If, if I'm calling the meeting, there are a lot of other things you could be doing with your time than meeting with me. So it needs to be worth it, hopefully for you, but at least for some shared purpose that we're trying to meet together. Right. So I was just running a board meeting yesterday for nonprofit and board meetings are so hard. They can be so boring and we have to do all this Reporting out and we have to you know, hear about the budget and blah, 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 blah. But where I've been trying to move those meetings is, oh, yes, there is some stuff that's our responsibility to make sure is correct. We have to actually vote on the audit of the budget, et cetera, et cetera. And how about we use some of that meeting to be strategic together, to add some value to the organization? So what we've been really focusing on in this board is what's the pre-work that we need to do before we come to that meeting so that people are actually ready to bring their strengths. So how do we signal, here's what we're trying to get out of it. Here's the little bit of context you need about this strategic question. And here's what we're hoping you'll come ready to talk about. Because we've learned that you can have the same people sitting in the meeting. And if you just spring something on them that they haven't known is coming as a question to be thinking about, even in the back of their mind, you're less likely to get their good thinking than if you just say, spend five minutes thinking about this question before you come to the meeting, because we're going to talk about it. We don't have to decide anything today, but here's where we're going with it. So I feel like the work between the meetings is often what leads to a meeting being successful, both the work that the facilitator is doing, but also being very clear about the little bit of pre-work or the little bit of thinking I I need you to do so that you can bring your, your best thinking. The other thing I was thinking, Joe, as you were saying that is there is this reinforcing cycle that can happen with meetings where I'm afraid to move the information part out of the meeting because I'm afraid if it's in an email or it's posted on this platform or that platform, that you just won't read it. And then we'll miss something really important. But then of course, like people aren't going to read it if they know they don't need to read it. So it can be this kind of negatively reinforcing cycle. Whereas if you set the expectation, hey, I'm going to send you a weekly newsletter. I'm going to put all the important things in there. You need to read it. (laughs) You can even make it fun and like hold a quiz in the next meeting to see who has got the important information out or something, just to show people you're serious about it. And I'm doing that so that we can spend our time on more purposeful, interesting things that, that we need to be together to do. And so I think once people see that you're using their time well, they're more interested in taking care of the other things. But you got to break out of that cycle of like, well, I got to tell them the information when we're together because otherwise they won't read it. And people are like, well, I'm not going to read it because they're just going to tell it to me again in the meeting.
1: Yeah, so it's almost like an incentive to do the pre-work so that the meeting itself is more fun versus reading an email and showing up and having somebody read you the email again.
2: Yeah, I don't know. About you all, but it drives me crazy when people send out pre-work, whether it's information or other. And I do the pre-work, and I come to the meeting, and they walk through the the same stuff. Like, but I did the pre-work. Like, what's the next thing we're gonna do with that information? And so my experience is that once you have a couple of meetings with the same group of people, you know, it, it doesn't always work on the first meeting, but the second one after that, if you have given people meaningful pre-work, it can only take five or ten minutes, and then you use it and you use their time well. People are much more likely to do it the next time people like to have their time used well i think if you're transparent about we're we're taking the information out of the meetings and here's why let's try it let me get your feedback yeah
1: and if you're new to that then you just preface the work with here we're going to start to do some pre-work so our meetings can be more exciting and more collaborative and i think it's a great technical tip for anybody listening and anybody in the room but that pre-meeting work makes the meeting more successful and you'll get better engagement from the people who show up i like the part about the quiz though just to make sure that we're holding people accountable to uh, to actually reading the pre-meeting. We gave these guys pre-meeting, the guys in the room, so we're going to quiz them after this to make sure that they did the work ahead of time.
0: I'm afraid of what you just started, Liz. With TJ, he's going to start sending me quizzes.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, it also helps you be really clear about what is it that people have to have to know, right? Not everything I think is important is important to you. So what is important?
0: Liz, I want to just follow up on one thing you mentioned. One, because I I don't know what it is and I want to learn more about it and I'm sure it would be valuable to our audience. And that's the consultancy protocol. You mentioned that quickly. Can you just talk about that a little more and what that is and how it can be utilized?
2: Sure. And this is one of those things that if you go, Google it, you'll find lots of iterations of it. It's basically a protocol that starts from the assumption that we have a lot of expertise in the room anytime we gather educators together. And also that the people giving the expertise get as much out of doing the protocol as the people receiving the the consulting. So the, the basic idea is that the person being helped is going to bring some kind of dilemma problem stuck place. They start the protocol describing that dilemma. And then the consultants ask questions. They ask clarifying questions, which are ones that can be answered really quickly with information. They ask probing questions, which are ones that are meant to cause the dilemma bringer to think, to pause. Oh, I got to really, you're, you're starting to push me into understanding my own dilemma better. Um, and then the person who shared the dilemma sits back and listens while the consultants talk to each other. And so this is giving the dilemma bringer space to listen and not feel like they have to add more context or wait, 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 I don't know, that doesn't make any sense because, you know, or just justify when I tried that and it didn't work. They just sit back, they can take some notes. The other people talk as if that person isn't even sitting there. Oh, here's what I heard. Here's what I'm thinking about. Da, da, da. So they talk for a bit and you can change the times on all these to fit what you have for time available. And then the dilemma bringer comes back into the, the conversation, and they get the last few words to describe what they heard, what it's making them think about. They don't need to defend anything. They know people don't have all the context, but this is you know this question really stuck with me. Or I'm wondering about this. You're making me think about that. Or I didn't tell you about this, but it's an important piece of the context. But I I just have to tell you now. So and then the protocol ends. You can debrief it like all protocols. Just how did it go? What would we adjust next time? But that's the basic idea.
1: That's awesome. That's something that's super practical as well. Yeah, I, I think. Any leader who's listening to that can take those directions right away, introduce that protocol in their, in their meetings. It actually reminds me a little bit of like some of the protocols we use in mastermind work, especially bringing that, you know, hot seat type of, this is my dilemma. How can everybody help? But I wrote down that everyone learns and everyone contributes. And that also makes it for a much more engaging, much more successful meeting. Liz, we're going to switch gears just a tad to some of our uh, focus ed questions that our listeners love and and that they'll get some nuggets from you. The first one is if you are going to improve the student experience in every school, what would you want to see done?
2: I would want to increase the level of the tasks. I strongly believe based on lots of evidence I've seen with my own eyes, as well as other people have collected that we underestimate what kids are capable of. And we reflect that in the tasks we give them. This was reinforced for me this week. My kids just started school in Massachusetts a couple of weeks ago. Ago. So, on about day seven of the school year, my son brought home an activity called the 12 Circle Challenge. And the directions are there are 12 empty circles on the page. And the directions are draw to make every circle into a unique object. This came home in his backpack. When I looked at this task, I thought, this looks like a kindergarten task to me. The problem is that my son is in fourth grade, and this was the task that he was being asked to do. So, that's just one example. But the thing I would want is tasks that engage the the minds and hearts of kids. There's lots of other things we need to do, but that for me is like, can we please do that?
0: Something we've been wrestling with, and I think you're on to something, Liz, that's huge. And I don't know why this is such an issue. And I think very well-intentioned activities are created. And one thing that I've been wrestling with personally as a superintendent within our own school district across the nation, when I see things, TJ and I talk about this, I think a lot of teachers set lessons plans through the standards and the content. And I think assessments may fall in there, like formative may become a thought within there, but I don't know if there ever, the lesson plans are ever evaluated through rigor and how rigorous this actually is. Is it grade level appropriate? Because often the standards are meant to be grade level, but how that breaks down into an activity, there's a lot of steps between that and the activity. And I've always been fascinated with Bill Daggett's work and the rigor relevance. So some of it comes from there. So just to get your thoughts on one way we could improve some just steps to increase that like degree of rigor, embed that even in conversations between administrator and teacher within PLCs, but let that be a guiding thought versus just like, I have to get through this content and teach this content, which I understand is very often a big part of all of this.
2: Well, one thing as you say, Joe, is the first thing is to pay attention to the tasks and analyze them. And there are several questions I like to ask when I'm looking at tasks and I will give you the two key ones. The first one is what is the task that kids are being asked to do? And not the thing we wrote on the board, not the thing that's in the standards language, but just when we really look at it, like in that 12 circle challenge, the task was fill in the circles to look like 12 different objects, right? So, you know, and sometimes we look at math problems and we're like, the task is to do the math problems exactly as the teacher modeled them and repeat that multiple times, right? So what's the actual task that students are being asked to do? That's the first question. And the second question is a prediction question. And that question is assume success. If students were successful on this task, what, would they know and be able to do? And what that gives you is the ceiling you would expect from doing that task. Now, some of those students brought to school more than that task asked of them already. But what we're trying to figure out is what's the ceiling we would expect from kids coming to school. And that question gives you that. If students were successful on this task, let's assume success, what would they know and be able to do? And really talk that out. And if people disagree, really dive into where the disagreements are. And then you can go from that to is that what we're hoping? For, for these children at this grade level, etc. That's where I would
1: start. We would love to know some of your favorite resources that support teaching, learning and leadership. You've written a ton of books, you've got access to great people and awesome library of work. What's in your library? What should we tell people to read and pay attention to?
2: Well, I mean, my favorite resource, honestly, broadly speaking is each other. I feel like we're too isolated in education when Whether we have the luxury of, you know, teaching at the Harvard Graduate School of Education like I do, and we're supposed to be reading and thinking a lot, or whether you're in the busyness of leading a school, leading a school system, leading a classroom. I feel like there's a way all of those can be isolating and we don't actually talk with each other enough. Because that's actually where most of my interesting ideas come from, is actually in dialogue with people. So that's the first thing I would say. I also, right now on my bookshelf, I've been reading some books that either... Came out or about to come out, I'm integrating into some of my, my fall courses and teaching. And a, and a few of those I'll mention um, a couple of my alumni that I've worked with, at Landon Mascareñas and Donnie Tran, have a book about the open system. And it's posing this really different way to think about school systems. And, and what does it look like to think about that in an open system versus a closed system? And what does that mean for engaging with communities beyond the educators within the school? So that's the a- interesting book that I'm using in my fall courses. I also just had my students read a little bit out of Rick Hess's new book on the Great School Rethink. And so he in that book is writing about what can we be thinking about as we're emerging from this pandemic? Schools are historically resistant to change. Why is that? And then what could we be doing differently in this really, really pragmatic lens? And then I just read a version of a book that hasn't come out yet, but I got to blurb the back. So I got to read the book in (laughs) advance by Meredith Honig and Lydia Rainey that is called From Tinkering to transformation and I'm so excited for this book because it's about how do we organize school systems to serve schools like what does it look like to really reimagine what central offices look like and it's grounded in research and really in the field work they've been doing with real school systems to reimagine like what if school districts actually serve schools so that they could serve kids those are a few of the things that are on my shelf right now
0: we very much appreciate that Liz and we'll put those in the show notes make sure that we feature them and and try to get them a a wider audience as well. We always talk that great leaders are avid readers, and so we want to preach that and practice it as well. As we wrap up, and we've covered a lot of grounds on things, is there something you wish someone would write about? Is there a topic or an area of interest that you think, you know what, there's just not enough research or there's just not enough dialogue in this particular space, and there just needs more attention?
2: Oh my goodness. That is such an interesting question. I don't know have a specific topic as much as a wish for writing that would amplify voices we don't historically hear from and writing that brings together ideas, help us think differently about something, as well as really practical, what could we do about it? Because I feel like writing tends to sit in one of those domains or the other. It's about thinking differently or it's about doing differently. But actually, I think what practitioners need is bringing the ideas and the doing together in ways that are actionable, like tomorrow, but also help me sort of think about complex ideas over time. So that's more broadly the frame I wish people would bring to lots of different topics.
1: That's fantastic. I've got pages of notes here, certainly going to link to, like Joe said, some of the resources in the show notes. This has been great and we're really appreciative of your time. We know you're busy. We know you're traveling. Is there anything else that you would like to add that you haven't already said or a request of the audience? anything to end the show
2: what I'd like to add is gratitude thank you for doing the work you do it's so hard I know coming out of the pandemic which I'm saying we are people are really exhausted and I just want to say thank you and that just because some of our challenges are persistent doesn't mean they're inevitable we can do better for kids and we can do this when we when we have both the hope and the urgency as well as the collaboration to figure things out so thank you for the work you do
1: we love that just because the problems are persistent doesn't mean that they're inevitable. This has been fantastic. You heard it here on Focus Ed, Dr. Liz, City. everyone. How about a virtual and live round of applause from our audience? As always, don't forget to follow the schoolhouse302.com for podcasts, blog posts, books to read, and more. We'll be back soon with another episode of Focus Ed. Until then, stay focused.
0: Hey leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our Candid and Compassionate Feedback Masterclass. Really, because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live and in person all the time and leaders love it. They learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away, including better praise to lift and celebrate your team. It's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own, self-paced, from the comfort of your office or home. Here's what you'll get. There are
1: 11 lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candid and Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site, theschoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today.